I'm Alexandra Joe, Director of Outreach and Education at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I return to my conversation with Diane Hullen, death educator, death doula, and founder of Best Life, Best Death. In this episode, we continue our conversation about how more open and honest conversations around death and grief can improve the emotional and mental well-being of our society. In part two of this conversation, we talk about how to explore what needs to be done in your life to prepare for a good death and how to get started on your death curious journey. We cover some recommended reading from both Diane and myself and the differences between living in a death denying culture and a grief denying one. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Diane Hullett. Well, it's interesting how much I think, I think we swim around in the soup here in U.S. culture of wanting quick answers yes. and easy answers and clear answers. Google, yes. And, <laughs> and I think most of life, most of being human is not all that clear. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to support people in that um, discomfort, but I think some of it is being comfortable in your own discomfort yes. so that you can hold the uncomfortable for other people. You know, I, I try in the work I do in the, in the mortality education I do, I try to, um, like, rather than giving people a, a map of where exactly they're going to walk, I try to give them some signposts for themselves so that they can see what they are comfortable mm-hmm. with and drawn to and what, it's not that I have the answers, but that I know that they have the answers within them mm-hmm. if I ask some questions that help them to clarify. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's hard to do, but I think when you, well, I'll talk about the course I offer. So the course I offer is called my next question. Oh, good. The best three months is a really interesting curriculum developed by the Conscious Dying Institute and Taryn Estes, the founder. And it, it essentially is a, is a six or seven week class typically in which on the very first class, I say, this is your date of death. So we name the date of death 90 days after the class starts. And I say, try to embrace this. Try to actually really feel that. So you have the health you have now. You live where you live. uh, You're the age you are now. And 90 days from now, a few days before then, something's going to happen, a health event, an accident, and you are going to die on this date. Call it, gosh, what, what month are we in? Call it, you know, December 15th. And so in that ensuing weeks in the class, we explore our life in different domains in order to clarify what is it that I want to do before December 15th. And, you know, people often start out with kind of a big grandiose, like, well, if I knew I was dying in three months, I'd, you know, change my house and move here and do this and do that and switch my job and backpack in Europe. And, mm-hmm. and I encourage people not to get to um, fantasy life. Like if that, if that is what you want to mm-hmm. do, you might want to start doing it if it's on your bucket list. But, mm-hmm. but I'm much more like you have three months and you are where you are. How do you make that the best that it can be? And how do you um, find out what are your loose ends and take steps to wrap those up? Mm-hmm. So for example, I'm a mother. If mm-hmm. it is very important to me that I leave some written words for my kids, I better get those written. 
whether that's a one-page letter or a 12-page book or a photo album with captions, I better get going on that because I'm going to be gone on December 15th and it's not even started yet. So sometimes there are projects like that, or I've certainly had people in my class who have an estranged relationship, maybe Mm. with a sibling, and they say, well, you know, I haven't talked to my brother since my dad's funeral Mm -hmm. and okay, I'm going to write him a letter or I'm going to write him an email and, you know, not looking for resolution that's perfect in that relationship. Mm -hmm. But if you're gone on December 15th, is there something you wanted to say? So that loose end was not just a ratty, frayed knot, so to speak. Right. Right. So I think, I think it's interesting to kind of really get real about what it is that we would want to complete if we were going to die Mm -hmm. and to clarify in writing and in communicating with whatever loved ones will be caring for us, family, chosen family, dear friends, partners, have we clarified with them what it is we would want Mm -hmm. and how, how we might want to be celebrated. Even a little folder that has three poems and some music ideas and the name of a beautiful park that you love, even that helps someone who's planning a celebration or a memorial have something to go on rather than just, we have no idea. I've I've known so many people who say, my ex person died and I had no idea what they wanted. And and that, that is not a kindness to the people you leave behind. You know, it is not kind to say, ah, do whatever you want. Doesn't help them. So I think anything we can do. So my classes, my best three months classes are really about that kind of taking the time once a week to really dig into that and dig around in in terms of what it means for you and in terms of what it is that you need to write down and share. And I love it. I always make about 10 minutes of the last class at the beginning of class. I say, okay, I know you're behind on the homework right now. Take out a pencil, get your list do it electronically. If that's how you want to do it, make some deliberate action steps that you've been meaning to write down this whole six weeks of class. Now you're going to do it. And people are always like, Oh, thank goodness. You know, like (laughs) like we all mean to be good at our homework, but we're not necessarily good. So giving people that little bit of workspace and sharing with other people, hearing the ideas of other people is, is just, it's a lot of fun. It's very inspiring. And most people find it actually a relief to talk Absolutely. about death directly and to think about what their loose ends are. It's it's more of a relief to bring it forward than to leave it lurking in the back of your heart and mind and never get to it. Yes, 100% all of those things. I What I love is that it's happening in a class. So there is that kind of safe space. We're all here with this intention. We can talk about it. And there's community support. Like if, if it's hard for me, I know someone else next to me is also maybe struggling and I'm not alone. Like that's, that's a huge part of, of feeling comfortable talking about things that we aren't used to talking about, um, creating that safe space. I love that. And then, yeah, I mean, that was when I started working at parting stone, something I did, I used a service called cake and went through and made all of these arrangements and then sent them to my sister. Um, and now I'm thinking like, actually I have some things in my life have changed since over the last, you know, three years. And I need to go update some things that I haven't yet. Like I have different, different partners in my life now. And, um, so that's, you know, some things need to change there. And, um, yeah, like 
That's that's the other thing I'd say is there mm-hmm. are so many good resources right now. There's yeah. so many good. The Conversation Project is excellent. Cake is excellent. The When You Die Project, excellent. So there, you know, mine is just this little best life, best death, small potatoes kind of thing. But it's excellent. There are yes. so many good resources. I think that part of what happens for people sometimes is either A, they don't even want to get started, or B, they don't know where to look. Right. So I would say start with one of those three. I would also say if you haven't read Being Mortal, here it is. <laughs> Atul Gawande. This is an excellent, excellent book, such a beautifully written book that reflects on mortality. And the downside of our medicalized dying process in our mm. society at this time. Ooh, yes. And it, it just gives you real food for thought to chew on and is so beautifully written. And then The Art of Dying Well by Katie Butler. Mm-hmm. I just think this is a fantastic book. What I love about this is that every chapter starts with questions. And so you can kind of place yourself or your loved one in which chapter they're in. Mm-hmm. And then every chapter ends with if this chapter was your chapter about this time and space you are in your life, this is what you need to be sure you've done. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like there's your to-do list right there. So awesome. um, I for, but, but for me, books are a way I love to take in information. Not true of everybody. Some people love podcasts. Some people love videos. Some people love searching on the internet. There's, there's Audiobooks. so much yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. Audiobooks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love the people that love podcasts. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. We love podcasts <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it's uh, so fun. It's so true. Absolutely. Um, I take in information kind of through all of those things, which is a lot, but nice. <laughs> but it's part of my job. But yeah, those are great book recommendations for sure. Not specifically about death necessarily, but about the unknown that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I would also throw. Rebecca Solnit, uh, The Far Away Nearby, and The Field Guide to Getting Lost onto Ooh, that nice. list as well. Especially The Field Guide to Getting Lost opens with a paragraph about leaving the door open for the unknown. And it's just her talking in all these essays about different ways that one can get lost and why that's important. Yeah. So that's great. I love I love this reading list. So going back to your services and your course, I did, yeah, I looked at your website. It's you know, super beautiful, super well-designed, which I always love to see in this profession. Sometimes we don't oh see that as much. I'm, so. always like, I'm always like, if I don't like a website in 20 seconds, it's a failure. So that's I, what indeed. my goal was with that. I was like, okay, this has to be easy to navigate instantly. Yep. It's great. And I love that there's a question on there, like front and center, um, it's, you know, how can a conversation about mortality enrich your life, which is, I think, what we've been talking about this whole time. But even just that question and the fact that it's a question, because that's something I'm thinking about as we're talking is like the key here seems to be getting people curious, you know, switching from taboo, I'm scared, there's fear here to how do I get curious about death? How do I get curious about dying and, you know, and keeping that curiosity? I mean, I had a a conversation with Barbara Kimmis of Cana a couple of months ago about, uh, we were talking about careers and death care and burnout. And she was saying, you know, the solution to avoiding burnout is staying curious. If there's something that you can be curious about, you're going to be engaged and nothing is going to burn you out. And, and that's, I think the same thing in difficult conversations, we can, we can move through fear with intention if there's a seed of curiosity there. So I love that you're asking these questions instead of just 
stating things and providing education that is framing it as you can learn about death, dying and bereavement and not just be told and do the same thing over and over again. Like how can we get people more curious about, about death? Yes, I love this. And I think, I think there's another aspect here that we touched on earlier, which is, you know, I I often hear that we're a a death denying culture. And I think there's truth to that. But possibly even more so, I love what a couple of authors I've spoken with have said, that we're a grief denying culture. Mm, And and that those are intimately woven together. Mm. And I, I actually, you know, sometimes I look around and think, well, we certainly have a lot of death in our movies. There's a lot of death in our culture. We don't seem to turn away from that. We seem to kind of go with it. And when someone dies who's close to us, we, we celebrate them. Mm-hmm. I think most people, at least that I know, I'm sure this doesn't happen everywhere, but you know, there is a, a, a moment, a transition, a naming of that, people coming together in mm-hmm. some way. Of course, it's been complex the last few years. Yes. Not true for every subculture, but in a lot of places, death is named and um, held. Mm-hmm. However, a week later, everyone has stopped talking about it and stopped talking to that person about it and forgets to ask how they are. And, and it's very, very painful. I I was very moved. Um, There's a author named Amy Bloom, who's a beautiful, beautiful author who wrote a book called in love, a a memoir of love and loss. Mm -hmm. And she wrote about her husband's uh, diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's and his decision to go to Dignitas in Switzerland for an assisted dying procedure. And she's a fantastic writer. So this is a beautifully written book. And I had a podcast with her a a month or two ago, and she talked about that. She talked about how at her husband's funeral, when she saw an old friend of hers, it hit her like a ton of bricks that when that woman's partner had died, she had kind of said, oh, how you doing? One, you know, once or twice Mm -hmm. in kind Mm -hmm. of a light way. And now Amy was struck with the immensity of her own grief. And she felt like she'd been such a kind of a crummy friend to someone else who'd lost their partner. And she thought, boy, I'm going to need a whole lot more than one or two. How you doing over the next six months? And so, so I, I think about that. I think maybe it's Maybe it's death denying, yes, but it's for sure grief denying. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to be with that awkwardness of grief. I would say maybe the rawness of grief. Yes. I I one time had the experience of a friend whose partner had died. And this was probably, gosh, it might have even been three or four months after he had died. Mm-hmm. She was at my house in a circle of people and she started wailing. And we were all kind of softly singing and hanging out. And she like keened and wailed. Mm -hmm. And I was so moved Mm -hmm. because it was like, now that's some grief. Like she was not holding back. And I was like, you know, praying to my pagan gods, may I have the courage to be that raw when I'm grieving in the way that she's grieving. Because I think, you know, a few tears and dabbing with tissues is probably not what we need. And um, so I I think about that. I think about how grief is very raw Mm -hmm. and very intense and how it comes and goes in waves. And I think 
that feels to me like what our society really doesn't quite know what to do with because it's Absolutely. not simple, it's not short, it's not put in a neat little box. You can't say, well, hey, I'm, can I meet you at three o'clock today and have a little five minutes of grief before we talk about our you know, kids and jobs? Right. It's just not like that. No, it's like I was talking about being in college and like just spontaneously bursting into tears in the middle of classes and not having an explanation that I could just give people, you know, like, yeah. And it's so unique for every person. We're not taught that either. And like you're, you're saying with like the wailing and the keening and like that, that's someone's need to express and a others might judge them for being inappropriate or scaring other people or, but it's what that person needs. But then also there might be the griever who needs time to process and looks like they're not responding and are being judged for not, why are you not more upset? And so we have a lot of shoulds around the way that grieving and being bereaved looks that I think, yeah, yeah, we need healthier conversations around how to let go and, and individualized grieving processes because it's so, it is so unique because every relationship is unique. Every person is unique and, and the relationship they have with all the loved ones, even within a family unit or a very close chosen family or friends unit, like all of those relationships are different. And so the grief that's left behind and reflected there is also going to be very different. And, it just goes back to this inability to talk about it, you know, and have empathy Mm -hmm. and sit Mm -hmm. in the discomfort and sit Mm -hmm. in the not knowing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really wonderful to see people like you who are educating folks about how to have better conversations and how to get more comfy with those things. Um, Is the best three months, the only course you offer? Do you offer more courses? You know, I I play around sometimes with, um, there's a wonderful book called um, The Essential, oh gosh, do I have it on the top of my head? It's by Sarah Zeff Geber, and it's called The Essential, oh, The Essential Retirement Planning Tool tool for Solo Agers. Mm. I think I have that correct. And um, it's called Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers by Sarah Zeff Geber. Mm -hmm. And I loved it so much because she specifically says, if you're aging solo, like you don't have family, you have friends, but you don't have children, you don't have a partner. These are six things you need to work on. And she lays them out and she talks about how specifically to work on those areas and, and um, essentially boost these areas in your life so that you are capable of living on your own for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, what I love about that is that she she lays it out super clearly. And so she and I have talked about collaborating on a class or me using the book as a basis for the class and she coming in as a guest speaker, but I haven't got a specific date put out for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So at this point, it's just best three months. And um, I think there are lots of people doing all kinds of powerful courses about, I've seen some really interesting legacy courses. So finishing and starting and finishing legacy projects and I've seen really good work about how to complete paperwork. Mm, great. So that is in a realm that I've gone into because I feel like, oh, there's people way better than me that can help you dot those I's and cross those T's <laughs> and get that done. Awesome. And I think it's important to realize, as you said earlier, that's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You, you make a will for now, 
And then you better look at it again in two years because yes. things keep changing. It's especially right now, it seems like it's amazing how fast things are changing with, you know, going into the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, all these other things going on in our country and our life right now. I mean, it's, it's a time of rapid change and we need to be aware of, of those things. So, yeah. 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 And I was thinking even just personal change, especially if you're a younger person, it's like partners change, friendships, people move, like the person you thought maybe would be if at a hospital situation with you is maybe no longer even in the area. Yes. So yes. Um, at, at my age with kind of older teenage kids and a long marriage, like it's a little bit more like, okay, these are some of the givens, mm-hmm. but still, I don't think we've looked at our, you know, documents in like five years. Mm-hmm. It's on our mm-hmm. list to do so. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's awesome. Um, is there anything else that you want people to know about best life, best death? Good question. I think what I love about the name that I chose for the work I do is that it it really does incorporate both. Mm-hmm. It really is about life and it's about death and it's about how those reflect on each other and our two sides of the same coin, as we said. Mm-hmm. So I think what I want people to know is that there are there are people out there like myself, like yourself, who can help you walk this path mm-hmm. and who can help guide your curiosity or fan your curiosity. And you don't have to be alone in exploring some of these topics. And that that in in exploring the topics around end of life and dying, it actually, for most people in my experience, is not more scary. It's more of a relief Mm -hmm. and it's more joy-filled. It's surprisingly clarifying. Mm. You know, you, you, you get a little more uh, knowing about who you are yes. because it really is ultimately self-reflective. And I'm, I'm always struck, you know, even if you're in a long relationship, like I am, you, you ultimately die alone. Yes. I mean, and you can hear that as like, Oh dear God, how scary. Or you can hear that as like, Oh, how powerful, mm-hmm. like we are our own souls. You mm-hmm. are, you have to be your own best friend and your own advocate and your own, truth seeker, because nobody else can do that for you. So find your curiosity, find the one person you can talk about this with, or a class that you could join. If you're grieving and you feel alone, reach out and find a grief group. I just think it's phenomenal how many groups are available to people. I actually know someone whose daughter was murdered many years ago. And he said, you know, the only thing that got him through that time was a support group for people with murdered children. He said, not one other person understood what we were going through. That group became a shorthand place where he could take all of his feelings, all of his grief and bring it. So find yourself a grief grief group. If, If there is one silver lining out of the pandemic, it is that so much is available online and stop grumbling and saying, I don't want to be in some group on zoom. You know what? Okay. But if you're depressed and feeling alone and stuck in your grief, find a grief group. And if it's over Zoom, so be it. You might be amazed what you have to learn from these total strangers and how they can support you in your journey to some kind of healing. Absolutely. And yeah, just from personal experience, I have done my own therapy 
I go to therapy regularly every week and have for the last five years. And even before the pandemic, I was, I did virtual therapy through the app BetterHelp, And then we switched to a different online platform. But for the first time in like five years, I'm going to in-person therapy now. And I was able to achieve so much in virtual therapy, right? Like you can get a lot out of those connections. And now I am participating in queer death cafes by Tiana Dargent of Queer Community Death Care, who I've had on the podcast recently. She hosts death cafes for queer people on Zoom. There are death cafes for lots of different people that happen on Zoom. And those are safe spaces to talk about these things. And I was amazed at the community and connection and support that's able to be offered in online platforms. So yeah, I agree. Like the stigma around, oh, well, it's just not going to be the same. Like surgery, it's not going to be the same, but it's still its own valuable thing. You know exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and if there's something nearby you that you can go to, go for it. But if there's not, go for this. I love that you found that space on Zoom, and then you've also found this burlesque group. Yes. Like how, like you've got like the best of everything. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's it's something I've worked for, you know. And like, how, what do I want in my life? And being in Santa Fe since 2018, and moving here in a emotionally abusive monogamous relationship, and then finding my queer chosen family here. That's like feeling so fulfilled. That's amazing, Alexandra. That's yes. so cool. What an Thanks amazing- for listening about my personal life. Oh my I never God. share this much with <laughs> podcast guests. So thank you. But it's really, yeah. I'm just really moved by it. I love that you like, okay, I'm in Santa Fe with this bad relationship and I'm going to blow that up and do something different. Yeah. It did indeed. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Well, listen, I have a really, really dear friend down there and I, in my fantasy world of now all my new freedom, I'm going to drive down there at some point. So oh if my I gosh. Do, we'll have coffee. Yeah. Well, come well, and I would love to give you a tour of Parting Stone oh, for cool. sure. Oh, cool. um, we oh, love to have cool. people visit. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and okay. Parting Stone will take you out for lunch for sure. Let's yes. keep in touch. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure and joy to talk to you today. Same. I just, it's been delightful, Alexandra. I really appreciate your time and just your great questions and the lovely meandering conversation we've had. Yay. Thank you so much. Here's another thank you note from a happy parting stone family. A few days ago, I received the lovely stones made from my husband's ashes. I hadn't expected they'd bring me so much comfort. Ever since Michael died in April, all I've wanted to do is give him a hug. Holding one of the stones in my hand makes me feel a bit like I'm doing just that. 